Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, a paediatric oncologist, and this is my podcast that's mostly for parents of children who are undergoing treatment for cancer or leukemia. Anyway, today I'm going to talk about central lines again, and in particular I'm going to talk about the things that can go wrong with central lines. Now you need to have listened to the first two episodes on central lines so you'll know what I'm talking about. So there was the first one that talked about why we need a central line and what a central line is. And then there was the second episode, and that talked about the two different types of central line that we might use. There was one that's more external to the body and has some tubing sort of dangling out of the body. That's called a Hickman line or a Broviac line. And there's one that's under the skin, and you get to it by putting a needle, a special needle through the skin and into this little chamber thing, and then that's connected to the central line. And that one's called an infuser port or a porter cath or a mediport. Depends what brand your particular hospital uses. Anyway, you need to have listened to those episodes so you know what I'm talking about. But again, we really need central lines. Most of the time, it would be very difficult indeed to treat a child for cancer or leukemia without a central line. So I've covered all that ground in the earlier episodes. Anyway, the main things to talk about, and when we talk about the things that can go wrong, are change in the position of the central line, the central line getting blocked, and the central line getting infected. And then there'll be a few others at the end that I'll think of by the time I get to that point. So first off, let's talk about the central line changing its position, getting into the wrong position. Well, basically, a central line can either slide in too far or it can slide out too far. Now, we're particularly talking here about the external type of central line. The one that's under the skin, the portacath, well, it's not going to just fall out because it's under the skin. But the external line, yes, it is possible for the patient to pull this out either deliberately or accidentally. Yes, I have seen it happen. Now, I wouldn't say it's common, but it can happen. And in particular, I suppose in the first day or two or three after a line is put in, that might be when it's more susceptible to being pulled out. And so we've got to be careful in those days and try to avoid the child waking up and saying, oh, hang on, this isn't meant to be here, and pulling it out. Remember, the central line, it actually has a little cuff thing on the plastic just uh, just as it exits the skin and comes to the outside world. Just there, just inside the skin, there's this little fibrous, fabricy sort of cuff thing there. And eventually that sort of gets attached to the surrounding tissues and that sort of makes it all a bit stronger and a bit less able to be pulled out. But yeah, I have seen it happen accidentally. Or the odd kid who wakes up and just pulls the line out Well, that's a problem. Now, as far as slipping the other way, well, I have seen it a little bit, central lines that ended up with the tip of the line further in than was originally intended. So remember the tip of the central line, it's meant to be in a big vein just above the heart or maybe go actually into the heart, into the right atrium. That's the first chamber of the heart. And it's meant to sort of sit there and that's the right place for it. Well, from time to time, we've seen lines that have migrated in some way and slipped in a little bit further, and so that tip of the central line gets closer to the tricuspid valve. The tricuspid valve is the valve that blood goes through from the right atrium to the right ventricle. 
Well, occasionally I've seen and heard of lines that have sort of got up close to that tricuspid valve and have, you know, even got right into the middle of the tricuspid valve. And this is the sort of thing that you might see on an echocardiogram, you know, one of those cardiac ultrasounds. I don't remember seeing anything bad happening from it, but I've certainly heard of it happening. So I'd have to say a change in the position of a central line isn't something we're frequently seeing. So it's not high on your list of things that can go wrong. Now, a more common thing that can go wrong is that a central line can get blocked. Now, remember, a central line is not a very natural thing to have in your body. Your body isn't used to having bits of plastic put into the bloodstream and being left there. The body doesn't like it, and your blood clotting system doesn't like it. Your body's blood clotting system is sort of set up to form a clot whenever the body is wounded in some fashion. Well, it sort of can form a clot too when foreign bodies like a central line are put in position. It's not a very normal thing. So central lines have to be looked after by being flushed. And so a Hickman type, external type central line, well, we normally flush that at least about once a week if we're not using it in the meantime. And when we flush a central line, well, we normally flush it with a liquid that has some anti-blood clotting stuff in it. The anti-blood clotting stuff is called heparin. Heparin. We're using heparin all over the place in medicine. You know, it's what they use for people with blood clots in their legs and things like that. But when we flush a central line, well, we normally flush it with a solution of this heparin stuff, and that's meant to stop the blood from clotting in the line. So it's meant to sort of fill up the line with this liquid, but then any blood that can trickle up on the inside of the line while you're not using it, well, with the heparin there, it's sort of designed to stop blood from clotting inside the central line. Now, despite all of these best efforts, from time to time, we do get a problem with a central line getting blocked. And some of the time, it must be due to blood clot forming inside the line or around the tip of the line. And sometimes they get blocked for other reasons. Sometimes I think they get kinked in their course. They get a bit of a kink in them as they bend around one of the corners they go through. Or sometimes the tip of it just positions itself in a position where it doesn't allow us to flush it or to draw back blood from it. So central lines can get blocked. So when we find that a central line is blocked, uh, there's a few strategies. Uh, sometimes we find a line where we can flush the line well, so fluids and things will go into it well, but we can't draw blood back from it. So stuff will go in, but it won't come out. Other times we get a problem where stuff will come out, but it won't go in and then still other times we find that nothing will go in and nothing will go out. Now, normally the nurses will experiment with different positions, get the patient to hold their arms above their head, to lean to one side. Sometimes these manoeuvres can just sort of move the position of the line and get it into a better spot so it works better. Sometimes we have to do an x-ray of the line and just check, well, where is the tip of that central line? And sometimes we do an x-ray of the line where we inject dye into the line and then look at the dye as it comes out the tip of the line and that can be informative. But if it seems that the line is blocked and it's not because of its position and it's not because of a kink, well then you have to think it's some sort of blood clot sort of process in play and so then we have to think, well, what can we do about this? 
One technique is to put something into the line that can actually dissolve blood clots. And there's a couple of these drugs out there that you can try. There's a drug called urokinase or streptokinase. There's another one called TPA. And different units have tried this, and sometimes we try it to see if we can dissolve the clot. These are the drugs that they give to people who are having a stroke or a heart attack to try to unblock their artery. But we can use them to try to unblock a central line sometimes. I wouldn't say they work all the time, but it's something that can be considered. Another technique is particularly used in a situation where a blood clot forms over the tip of the line. So from our X-ray dye studies, sometimes we can find that there's this flopping sort of blood clot around the tip of the central line, and that's called a fibrin sheath, S-H-E-A-T-H, a fibrin sheath. So it's a sort of bit of a clot around the tip of the line and sometimes sort of flopping around off the tip of the line there. And this can sometimes allow us to get fluids in, but not to get blood out, for instance, or vice versa. It all varies. Now, in this situation, there is a procedure that can be used sometimes, and that's called central line stripping. Now, not all units will have access to this. It's a bit of a complicated, elaborate procedure, and it's normally performed by one of these people you call an interventional radiologist. These are the x-ray doctors that do all sorts of complicated procedures using x-ray guidance. Well, in this one, they can thread a catheter up the vein from the groin, up the vein from the legs, up to the heart, and then they've got this little lasso thing, and they can actually grab the tip of the central line and then strip off the fibrin sheath off the end of it. Pretty groovy, huh? So they have a little loop, They thread it right up from the groin up to the heart, grab the tip of the central line, and then pull this fibrin sheath thing off the tip of the central line. And that's called stripping a central line of its fibrin sheath. And again, not everyone's going to have access to this sort of service. It's it's quite a specialised sort of service, and you need to have interventional radiologists, etc., to have that. But really, if positioning the patient doesn't work, And if there's no obvious mechanical kink in the line and then we try to flush the line hard or we try some of our our blood clot dissolving drugs and none of that works and if the central line stripping isn't an option, well, it might be that we can't fix this central line. Now, if we can still get stuff to go into the central line and we're sure that it's still going into the vein and it's going into the right place but we can't get blood out of the central line, well, that still might be useful. We can get blood from a vein or a finger prick, for instance, if we can still use the line to get our drugs into the vein. So we still might be able to put up with that situation, a line that will allow us to give stuff into the vein, but it can't work to take blood samples. That might be okay, might not be. If you're having a bone marrow transplant, you really need a line that works in both directions. You need to be able to take blood samples and you need to be able to give stuff into the vein. But sometimes it'll be all right to just persist But otherwise, it's pretty much looking like we'd have to replace the central line, I'm afraid. If we can't unblock it, and if we still need it, well, oftentimes it means a trip back to the operating theatre, pull out the offending line, and put in a new one. And this happens from time to time. I wouldn't say it was the usual thing to happen, but there are patients whose lines get blocked and then they end up needing a new central line. And needless to say, that's all a big pain in the neck. It's another operation for the poor child. It's... It's a real nuisance. 
But an even bigger nuisance, and something that's much more than a nuisance, is central line infection. Now, this is the big one. Everyone has to know about the potential for infection with a central line. Remember what I said. Having this piece of plastic in your vein is not a very natural and normal thing at all. And your body doesn't really have a good system for clearing bacteria off bits of plastic. All right, The plastic doesn't have a blood supply in it. So if a microfilm of something forms on the central line and if some bacteria get into the central line, well, the body isn't well equipped to deal with that infection on the plastic. So central line infection can occur and it does occur pretty commonly and it's a big thing to know about. In fact, whenever a patient has a central line, pretty much if they get a fever they should be in touch with their doctors. It doesn't matter if they've got a cold and that's why they've got a fever. If they've got a fever, they should be in touch with the hospital. And very often we would get them in and look at putting them on antibiotics until we were sure that the patient didn't have an infection from the central line and into the bloodstream. I'll have more to say about fevers in children on chemotherapy in a separate episode, but it's one of the most important things to know is that a child on chemotherapy particularly a child with a central line who gets a fever, the team need to know about it. Like I said, this is not a very natural thing. A central line is a pathway for bacteria straight into the bloodstream. So despite all of our sterile techniques and our best efforts to keep the whole thing sterile and clean, there's always the capacity for a bacteria to get into the bloodstream because this central line is sitting there. So it's vital to know about this and watch out for it. Now let me talk about different types of central line infection. So first of all, that spot where the central line, this external type line, enters the body, that little hole in the skin where the line goes in, that's the central line entry site, or some people call it the exit site, whatever. That little spot there, that's a spot where you can get an infection. It's a little bit of skin that's broken open of course that's because there's a little hole in it well you can get an infection in that site and that can be just a little bit of redness or then it can become redness that gets more and then there may be a sort of a goopy pussy dischargey stuff that starts to develop and all of those things are reason to seek medical attention and oftentimes we'll take a swab from the site and send that to the micro lab and then they can tell us well what germ is causing the infection there So that would be an infection at the central line exit site. Now beyond that, an infection could also track up the outside of the plastic. So remember the central line has gone in this little hole in the skin and then it's tracking up under the skin, up to the collarbone and then into the vein. Well, you can get an infection along that central line track. So in that sort of fat and skin that's surrounding the central line on its way up to the collarbone. That's the central line track. Well, you can get an infection in there and it might become tender along the the central line. It may become red along the central line. They would all be signs of an infection along the central line track. And that too would generally need to be treated with big, strong antibiotics, usually in hospital. And then the third type of central line infection to think about is an infection on the inside of the central line. So, you know, the channel that your drugs and all that get pumped through, 
that's the lumen of the central line, well, you can end up with a bacteria inside the central line there. And you can imagine that's not a very helpful thing because that's a good way to get the bacteria flushed into the bloodstream. And so when patients turn up with a fever and they've got a central line, we'll normally take what's called a blood culture. So we'll take a blood sample out of the central line, put it in blood culture bottles, and they're a broth for bacteria to multiply in. And then we'll put them in the lab, and after a day or two, the bacteria can multiply and multiply to the point where we can detect them. And then we can say, aha, when the patient came in, they had this particular bacteria in their bloodstream. Now, that doesn't prove that the bacteria came from the central line. Bacteria can come from other places. They can come from your intestine and your mouth and your skin and anywhere else. But a candidate place where a bacteria in the bloodstream might come from would indeed be the central line. So in those circumstances, we'll have the patient on antibiotics, of course. They'll be stuck in hospital and we'll be looking at them to make sure they're stable and that the infection isn't making them sicker and sicker. And usually we'll get on top of it with antibiotics and then we can work out what to do next. So that's what we call a central line infection and this is something we see pretty commonly. It is one of the prices you pay for having central lines, unfortunately. Now what happens next? Well, we give the antibiotics through the central line and we hope that the antibiotics will kill the bacteria and eradicate it permanently. Now, there's some bacteria that are quite hard to eradicate. There are some yeasts and other sorts of germs that are quite difficult to get rid of. And in some situations, you don't even try. You just say, no, this line's had it. We have to get rid of it and put in a new central line. Some other bacteria you can treat with antibiotics, do some follow-up blood cultures maybe, and hope that you've managed to eradicate the bacteria and cleared it permanently. So we try to save the line with antibiotics in these circumstances and very often we succeed. But sometimes we don't and then it's a trip back to the operating room, take the line out, put in a new one. In fact, sometimes the surgeons won't put in a new one at the time. Sometimes they say, no, I'll put in the new one next week when all the germs are gone. It depends a bit on the situation. So there are three types of central line infection. There's the exit site infection at the skin, there's the central line track infection that's under the skin on the way up to the collarbone there. And then there's an infection on the inside of the central line. And all of them can become serious, so we really need to know if a patient with a central line gets a fever. Needless to say, when these things happen, people ask themselves, oh, why did this happen? And parents wonder, oh, did I do the wrong thing or did someone else do the wrong thing? I must say it's rare that we can identify a particular reason why a particular patient gets a central line infection. There are people who are totally and utterly meticulous in their care of the line and everyone's done the right thing at every step along the way, but still they get a central line infection. So most of the time I don't find a reason why a particular patient got a central line infection, but I do know that it happens. Now what about a couple of other things that can go wrong with central lines? Well, I have seen a central line that's split. So remember the external type central line is coming out of the body as a piece of tubing, normally dividing into two other tubes. And there's a picture of this at the Facebook page, remember, if you can't remember what I'm talking about. But sometimes you can get a little split develop in a piece of the plastic. A little hole can develop. 
I've even had a patient who managed to bite a hole in the central line. Not desirable. Now, in some of these situations, you can call the surgical team and they may have a central line repair kit. You can replace bits of the external line with the repair kit and that's a way that you can sometimes save the line. Some other times, you just can't save the line. You've got to pull it out, put in a new one. So there's plenty of patients that need more than one central line during the course of their treatment for cancer or leukaemia. What else can go wrong? Uh, Occasionally you can get a central line that's just sitting in a funny place in the heart and can trigger funny sort of rhythms in the heart, you know, heart rates that go too fast, for instance. I've seen this from time to time. I must say I've never seen anything very serious come of it, but I have seen the odd patient who's had some sort of fast heart rhythm related to the central line. Another thing that can happen is that you can form a blood clot in the vein surrounding the central line. So remember the central lines going up into that big vein in the neck and then going down the big vein towards the heart. Well, it is possible to form a clot in that vein. So it's not in the line, but in the vein surrounding the line. And this happens. Uh, We see this. And in particular, there's certain chemotherapy drugs that make you more likely to form clots than usual. So asparaginase, for instance, a drug we give for leukemia, that can make you a bit more likely to form clots. And patients on asparaginase might be more likely to form a clot around the central line. So this is a bit like the people that get a blood clot in their legs, you know, the people that have been on a big overseas aeroplane trip and get a blood clot in their legs. Well, this is a similar thing. It's a thrombosis in the vein. That's what you call it, a thrombosis. It's a clot around the central line. Now, sometimes you end up having to remove the line for this reason. Sometimes we end up putting the patient on anti-blood clotting drugs. And sometimes it doesn't actually cause any problem at all. Anyway, they're the main things that I can think of that I've seen go wrong with central lines. I've seen them fall out or get pulled out. I've seen them slip in a bit further than was originally intended. We see central lines get blocked. Sometimes you can flush them, but you can't bleed back from them. Sometimes you can bleed back, but you can't flush them. Sometimes there are ways to unblock them, maybe a bit of positioning. It may be some anti-clot stuff to try to clear the clot. You can even have central line stripping performed. The most important one to know about is central line infection. That's the big one. We rely on parents. Tell us when there's a fever. This is all important. This is potentially life-saving stuff. So central line infection is the biggie. And then there's a few others. We've seen some rhythm disturbances of the heart sometimes. There are central lines that crack and get a little hole in them and sometimes we can repair them, sometimes we can't. Sometimes you can get a clot form around a central line. But they're the main things I think that we see as things that can go wrong with central lines. Now, they're pretty vital. It's pretty well impossible a lot of the time to treat a child for cancer or leukemia without a central line. We really need it. But these are some of the things that go wrong. A lot of kids have a lot of central lines and nothing ever goes wrong. They get one central line put in at the start of treatment and everything goes swimmingly well. There's no problems along the way, no infections, no blockages, no nothing. But we do get some patients who have some problems and these are some of the things that we see. Anyway, thanks for listening in to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff. Remember to leave some feedback at the Facebook site. Uh, Leave me some questions if you have any. But for now, I'll leave it there and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.